Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, San Antonio Business Journal Editor-in-Chief Tony Quesada connects with Jim Pershbach, CEO of Port San Antonio. Pershbach leads a team that provides strategic support to grow advanced industries on the 1,900-acre campus, including aerospace, cybersecurity, defense, manufacturing, and global trade. Port San Antonio, as many know, used to be Kelly Air Force Base before the Department of Defense gave it up in 2001 as a result of the 1995 Base Realignment and Closure Commission's recommendation. For those who haven't been there lately, tell us what they'd see if they went. Well, what you're going to see if you come down to Port San Antonio today is an awful lot of construction. You see office buildings going up. You're going to see schools going up. You're going to see the new entertainment district going up. But all of that is a manifestation of some really exciting work that's going on on this campus. In the past two years, we've added almost 4,000 new jobs on this on this property, almost all of which are involved in that intersection between high tech between transitional digital technologies and the mature industries that we have that are so important, whether it's aviation, energy, critical infrastructure protection, there is some work that is going on, not just here at the port, but throughout San Antonio and Texas, that is setting the stage for the next industrial revolution, and it's tremendously exciting to see. So you became the CEO and president of Port San Antonio um, just a little more than two years ago. So what's changed since you took over? What we've done was focus on connections, building connections between the industries that we have and the new technologies. And the reason is the we're moving into a world that's a systems-based world. It's a world where everything is connected physically and virtually. And our approach became less just trying to lease and sell real estate and more trying to create, and I, I dislike the word, but create an ecosystem bring the types of innovators, employers, uh, small companies, big companies, and research institutions that are going to help provide the education, the talent, the technologies that our big mature industries need to survive. And talk about, if you go back to, to what it looks like, give us a sense of the scope of Port San Antonio. How big is it? How many buildings are there? How many people work there? The campus is uh, around about 1,900 acres. There's about 14,000 people working on this campus. And what you're going to see if you come down here is everything from a massive airfield complex. It's the largest runway anywhere in South Texas, about uh, 11,500 feet long. You're going to see a rail yard and you're going to see some old logistics. But you're also going to see office buildings. You're going to see manufacturing facilities. And there is work being done on this campus, everything from building the new Air Force One, transitioning the F-A-18 fleet into a modern connected fighting force, building new engines and overhauling jet engines, down to some really advanced cybersecurity work. And then we're doing some amazing things. I say we, it's the customers on this property are doing some amazing things with robotics, with uh, artificial intelligence, with Healthcare, 
not the direct provision of healthcare, but there's a company called Knight Aerospace, which is developing a modular hospital pod that can be inserted into an aircraft and allow you to take healthcare, to take uh, treatment anywhere around the world as quickly as you can get an airplane there. And it's tremendously exciting. Yeah. You know, so you kind of touched on a little bit of, uh, of the types of companies, but talk about, you know, the various industries that are really driving the growth at Port San Antonio. It's a connection. I'm going to call it aerospace and defense, which is a defined term and a little bit inartful here. It's that connection between aviation and the defense industry, particularly on the critical infrastructure protection. So think about the world we're living in right now. As everybody is walking around with connected devices, as everybody is more and more connected, it, it does two things. On the positive side, it creates an opportunity to bring information, potentially to bring power and resources anywhere. You're no longer limited by that physical connecting infrastructure, but it also creates a threat opportunity. It creates a weakness where people can exploit that connectivity. And you're gonna see every industry in the world trying to figure out how to maximize the value of this connected world while minimizing the risks that come from it. That's what we're focused on. In San Antonio and at Port San Antonio, we have the advantage of an awful lot of people who truly know what's going on with network security, with communications, with wireless transmission. But we're also unique in that we have deep silos of talent and capabilities, deep industries, in people who know how to take that and port it into aviation, into manufacturing, into energy generation. And when you do that, what you see is a leg up, a competitive advantage that not many places in the country, not many places in the world have. And you're starting to see a lot of new concepts, new technologies being developed here that can be scaled up and can be ported out to provide these solutions across the world. Let, let me give you one example, Tony. Uh, you're probably familiar. The city and CPS Energy have worked with us to create what's called the RSOC, the Alamo Regional Security Operations Center. And what that is, is a 24-hour-a-day, every-day-a-year network protection center for the city and for CPS Energy, for all these municipal entities to protect their network. But it's more than just that. If they can sell that as a service to other communities, to other utilities, to co-op generation, then what you can do is, is really powerful. Now you can scale the training, the technology, and the standards that you use for critical infrastructure protection and resilience. You can open up new methods. Now it becomes financially feasible to develop these solutions and to get these solutions out to communities and co-ops that frankly couldn't afford to do it on their own. And that becomes, I, you, know, I, you know me, I always try to analogize this stuff back to old days. But when we were trying to figure out the railroads 150, 200 years ago, everybody had different gauges on those railroad tracks. It took a standardization before you could come down to how this is going to truly provide a network. And we're at a stage in our industrial evolution right now where there needs to be a standardization of how we're going to provide network security. This RSOC, the capabilities that we have on this campus and throughout San Antonio, 
provide that level to scale and standardize critical infrastructure network security, which can then become the standard nationwide. And now you can provide commercial and national security critical infrastructure protection. You can also open up the aperture for businesses to sell into that market. And it's going to be tremendously powerful. In fact, it's already really showing us uh, some signs that this is going to be just game changing, not just for Port San Antonio, but for San Antonio. So we talked a little bit about the, the past and the present. So let's look forward a little bit. Port San Antonio has proposed some very ambitious development plans that include uh, uh, space for a science and technology museum, space for bringing people together to solve problems through technology. Talk about those plans, their scope, timelines, and kind of where they stand right now. The science and technology uh, museum already exists on the campus, but it exists at what we call a prototype level. It's in an old chapel and some small buildings. We have launched the full innovation center. We just went to financial close yesterday. And the schedule has that building opening sometime in January or February of 2022. And what that does is provide more than just some excitement on the campus, a place to show off the technology. There are three challenges for any industry. The first one is where are you going to find the future level of talent? Where are you going to find your future workforce? The second one is how are you going to prepare them to be able to do the work? And the third one is, how are you going to find a market for what you're trying to sell? And this innovation center is a manifestation of what we believe is the way to do that. The first thing is inspiring people. So the innovation center is right down in the heart of the campus. To get to that building, you have to drive past all the other exciting things that are going on on this campus. You're going to see big buildings with big company names and lights. You're going to see airplanes. You're going to see fighter jets taking off. And you're going to go into a building that is hands-on and exciting. We talked about the Security Operations Center. There's going to be a simulator security operations center in there that can not only teach what network security is, but can be used to actually train people for it and develop tools, all in a hands-on Disney, Epcot, Hershey's Chocolate World style way. And what we hope is that the young people and not so young people that go through that center, hundreds of thousands a year, just 1% of them get inspired to pursue something. They say, I want to make this my career. Well, when they do so, they can be signposted to the educational activities, whether it's a community college, a high school program, an extracurricular program, or a four-year university program, there will be classes here on the campus. There will be opportunities to get into those programs. We're going to show people that there is a path forward. And flip that around, when we go out and recruit employers to come to this campus, and the first question is, where am I going to find my workforce? They're going to see pride of place, center of our campus. We are walking the walk when it comes to workforce development and creating that pathway. And then the buyers and sellers I mentioned. Here's the exciting opportunity, but the challenge whenever you start going through one of these industrial revolutions. People don't know where we're going yet. The answers are going to be found in bits and pieces and porting things over that were originally developed for a different concept and finding a way to use them in your industry. 
And the best way to do that is to create a show place, to, to create an environment that not only connects people up, but allows them to showcase their technologies and their solutions and take that back into the, the industry world, into the buyer's world. It's the connecting the buyers and sellers. And I'll give you an example of that, Tony. I know I kind of get long-winded here. The uh, company Point, small little company, when Gabe developed that solution, which is a LIDAR on the back of a small robot, he was thinking about commercial office buildings. He said, there's a bunch of old office buildings out there where everybody's lost blueprints. And instead of sending in an army of people with tape measures and lasers and taking weeks to months to measure that out and upload it to CAD, I can do this automatically. I can do it within centimeters of accuracy and I can do it almost instantaneously. When we started to provide that showcase to him within the museum environment, he had the opportunity to meet people up who work in critical infrastructure, who work in space, who work in areas of accessing resources that are difficult to access on the planet. And the question always came out, can you modify this a little bit so I can drop it into a sewer line? Can you modify this a little bit so I can send it out into the Arctic or into the desert? Conceptually, could you modify this so we could send it up to the moon, drop it into one of those lunar caves, one of those lava tubes up there, and find out whether or not that lunar cave is actually suitable for manufacturing? It's a lot easier. It's a lot more efficient. It's a lot safer than sending astronauts up to the moon to survey those lunar caves. So by placing these new technologies, these new solutions in an environment where potential users can see them kick the tires and figure out if it fills that gap, what you're doing is creating a marketplace. And whenever you create a marketplace, the buyers know that's a place they can go to buy solutions. You're going to get buyers showing up. If you have a lot of buyers there, the sellers want to show up. And what that does is economic development, community development, and create, frankly, a business environment. It's an innovation center, but the innovation center is just a manifestation of what we see being the new way that business is going to be transacted, a focus on inspiring people, educating people, and connecting buyers and sellers. That's awesome. Hey, Jim, before you joined Port San Antonio in uh, 2014, I believe is correct, uh, you joined as executive vice president of business development before you became uh, the CEO as you are now. So before that, you were a lawyer and a partner with a, a national firm uh, formerly known as Bracewell and Giuliani, uh, where you represented clients in industry. So what spurred you to go from advising businesses to being an economic development leader? The law was very good to me. I, I had a, an opportunity to go from being a lawyer to, to representing some really exciting, interesting companies in the aerospace world. But I also had the opportunity to get to know Port San Antonio. And, and I looked at this campus and I saw two things. One, tremendous opportunity. There are not many places on the world where You've got people doing everything from aircraft construction modification to digital and signals intelligence to artificial intelligence, virtual reality and robotics. You put that all together. That's a tremendously powerful combination for where the industry is going. 
At the same time, look at where we're located. We are in what the Census Bureau says is still the poorest large metropolitan area in the country. And our campus is surrounded by some great neighborhoods, but have traditionally been economically disadvantaged. And what I I saw was a campus that unfortunately looked like so many of these defense industrial installations. It was a compound. There was great work going on within the boundaries of the facility, but there was very little spillover into the neighborhoods around. And then I looked at those industries and I said, well, you need a lot of people. There's going to be tremendous growth and it's easy to train people. It's easy to educate people for these opportunities. And I, I had been lucky enough through my career to be able to make the jump over here. And some great people who, who've been working at the port historically, some wonderful people in the city. And, and the goal was to reach out into the community, not just the neighborhoods that surround us, but all over and integrate. Let people know what's going on on this campus. Let people know that there are tremendous opportunities here. If we'd been having this conversation a couple of years ago, I think the conventional wisdom about the port would have been, well, they're shipping stuff in and out of there. I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe potato chips, maybe frack sand, it's something. Maybe they're doing air cargo. Our effort over the past couple of years has been as much to tell the story about the opportunities on this campus as much to reach out into the community. One, one example of that is the San Antonio Museum of Science and Technology. When I had the the opportunity to meet David Monroe, it was Thanksgiving, I think, of 2017. Went up there and saw what he was doing, and he was looking for a new location to, to show off what he had done. And David was talking about what he wanted to do was inspire young people to go out and get careers and hopefully engineering, but he really didn't care what it was. He wanted to inspire young people. And we got to talking about the potential in doing that. And people laughed, Tony. They said, why on earth are you going to open a museum way down there at the port? Nobody knows where it is. Nobody goes down there. Well, we're eight minutes away from downtown. We're we're not far from anywhere in the community. David and his folks took a flyer on that. And there have been tens of thousands of young people who have gone through programs there. Many of them have gone on and pursued programs, education, and careers that they never thought they would have had. We've got companies on this campus that we never could have recruited to this campus without the San Antonio Museum of Science and Technology. We're tremendously excited about what Plus One Robotics has done. A couple years ago, it was four guys with an idea, soon became four guys and a woman with an idea, stood up in a, literally a little garage and classroom sitting here on the campus. They have now grown. They're being written up in the Wall Street Journal because of what they're doing with FedEx. It's tremendously exciting. It's the intersection of robotics and artificial intelligence and sensors. They could be anywhere in the world. We wouldn't have them on this campus, but for that museum and the outreach that has been done and telling the story. And so your question was, what made you want to do this? It was the ability to connect people. It was the ability to look at a community and say there is tremendous opportunity 
right here. There is tremendous growth opportunity. All we have to do is tell that story and help incubate the environment, help make sure we're doing it. And look at us a couple years later. We're pushing 5,000 jobs created. Tens of thousands of people have gone through these educational careers. There, there's a learning center that we have converted an old gymnasium into. And all of that is just because it's going to take us another year and a half to get that new building up. If we'd been having this conversation a couple years ago, we didn't have an office building here. We had one office building that had been built in 1998. We launched that Tech One building. Everybody said, you guys are nuts to build a Class A office building on the southwest side of San Antonio. It's 100% leased to blue chip national credit tenants. We've got another building going up across the campus. We've got construction going on all over the place. We've got the school going up on this campus. And Tony, I'd like to take credit and say this is all because Jim's a giant genius, but fundamentally, it's about opening those doors, making those connections, and letting people do what they do, which is drive commerce and drive opportunities. Jim Bershbach joining San Antonio Business Journal Editor-in-Chief Tony Quesada. In our next segment, Pershbach addresses the long-term risks and rewards when Texas Business Minds continues. I'm Rich Gregasco, President and CEO of Texas Mutual Insurance Company. To everyone who has been hard at work providing the things we need during this crisis, we say thank you. You truly are essential and we're proud to be on the job with you. More at TexasMutual.com slash on the job. Continuing our conversation on Texas Business Minds as Port San Antonio CEO Jim Pershbach joins Editor-in-Chief Tony Quesada. Jim, we've talked before, and one thing that I think differentiates you from a lot of different types of economic development leaders, and to a certain extent from the people who have held your position before, is um, kind of a holistic approach to economic development that really goes beyond what immediately and directly uh, benefits the Port San Antonio. Can you talk about that real briefly? Sure. Um, you know, one, one advantage I have is I'm not a classically trained economic developer. And when you look at, at a lot of the world, it, it rewards those people who take risks. And the risk you have to take is a long-term investment, not being short-term in your thinking. What we are trying to do is truly create the ecosystem. I apologize for using the word ecosystem again. You need certain types of facilities to host these companies. So you look at the office building. The traditional mindset of an office building is look at the market and look to see if other people have built an office building and succeeded with that office building. If you do that, you're never going to get an office building in a new place. What we knew is that we have major buying customers on this property, both the Department of Defense and some of their prime contractors who needed to have their support infrastructure, their prime contractors, their secondary contractors, their tertiary contractors, and their research companies. And they really need them in an ideal world as close as possible to where they're doing their business, as close as to where they're doing their operation. Somebody has to take the plunge and build that building. Now you can do it. You can say, 
being 15 miles away is close enough. It's sure better than being five hours away or a five hour flight away. But what we said was we want to make sure that we are putting those necessary suppliers, those necessary vendors right next to the buyers. And that means taking the risk on building that building. It means focusing on the industries that you want to have, uh, not because you think they're the high value or attractive industries in the marketplace right now. Take aerospace. On this campus in San Antonio, what we have done for over 100 years is primarily aircraft maintenance, uh, aircraft servicing, aircraft uh, overhaul. And that industry has gone through two transitions in the past 50 years. The first transition was a commoditization of the market. The price pressure went really, really strong to drive those prices down. And that created an offshoring. You had companies largely in South America, largely in the Pacific Rim, who had tremendously low labor rates single dollar an hour for skilled labor, if that, and virtually zero facility costs. And there is no way that we can compete with that in the United States, and we probably don't want to compete with it. And so the conventional wisdom was, that's gone. It's been commoditized. We don't need that anymore. Enter the digital revolution. And now you're getting into a world that we can get to predictive maintenance. We can get to a point where you can apply digital services and automation to the maintenance of those aircraft. You can increase the value to the customer. You can decrease the price. You can spread that price out. You can add value instead of just competing on the price point. And what that allows you to do is to bring that work back. So what we looked at doing in terms of who we were recruiting was not the commoditized side of the market. It was who is going to help our major services providers get to that predictive maintenance. It's digital analytics, it's robotics, it's automation, it's lasers technology. And a lot of the smaller companies that you're seeing being brought to the campus are helping get there. It's not just the airline industry and companies like Boeing and Standard Aero. The Department of Defense, from a national security perspective, has to figure out a way where we can minimize our annual expenditure on sustaining aircraft, sustaining tanks, sustaining vehicles, just from a national security perspective. The options are either increase those budgets, and there's a limit on how much you can do it, or operate with a large number of grounded out-of-service vehicles, which is not a good solution. So if you can get to predictive maintenance through automation and digital technologies, you not only keep those budgets down, you allow the product to be back in service, whether it's a tank, whether it's an aircraft, whether it's a computer system. And here's the fundamental advantage for the community. Within there, you're not getting rid of jobs. What you are doing is taking people out of the jobs that, as Eric Nieves says, are dirty, dangerous, or degrading. You're taking them out of the low margin jobs, the commoditized jobs, and you're placing them into higher value jobs. So what you are doing, and it sounds like magic, you're driving the price down. You're spreading the cost of that out, 
which allows you to increase the margin and pay more to the employees, which from a community development, economic development perspective, means you are driving up community wealth. But that requires a focus on education. And so you look around our campus and you see us investing in things like schools, in museums and education centers that never in a million years are going to pay back the per square foot value that you would want to see. But we're not looking at a per square foot value. We're saying if we can provide that level of talent and that level of education to these employers that allows them to succeed, that's what's going to drive the businesses here that are not only going to drive up the community economic value, but aren't going to be price sensitive. And so one thing I want to emphasize, Tony, of those 3,600 jobs that have been created on this campus in little over two years, of the two and a half, 2.7 million square feet of space that we have leased, only 50 of those jobs have been publicly incentivized. And that's not to say that there's not a place or a value with public incentives, there absolutely is. But it is a validation that what we've created is a self-sustainable, sustainable economic development model. But it takes, like anything else in business, an understanding of the economic drivers of the inputs and of the outputs, and making sure that you are investing in what is ultimately going to drive your desired output. For us, that's both jobs and economic development, as well as revenue to the property. So, you know, you're describing um, some very interesting concepts that are almost being developed at the port as you go in terms of economic development. How do you take that message, that storytelling you talk about to the world? What is that? What is your strategy for that? Uh, is it is it just a lot of travel? Is a lot of uh, going to a lot of expos? Is a lot of Zoom calls? What's the strategy for, for letting the world know that something very different is happening at Port San Antonio? The first strategy is what you said. By necessity, it's had to be taking it on the road, going out there and just showing people the story. But what we want to do is use that innovation center to tell the story. Have you ever been to Hershey's Chocolate World up in Hershey, Pennsylvania? Or, or been down to Epcot or anything else? Yes, yes. It, it is really, really hard. I don't have the talent to stand in front of people and really explain what's going on here. There is no substitute for letting people come down and see it and touch it and feel it and smell it. And so part of what you're going to see in this innovation center is the Hershey's Chocolate World version of what we're doing. There is a lot of stuff going on on this campus that we can't take people in and see or really is not set up and designed for people to go in and see. And in an interactive entertainment environment, you're going to be able to see that. As you are down here and looking at the campus, one of the first questions people always ask with economic development is, well, how can we afford that? It's dollars. It's always the first thing communities cut. Is there investment in economic development whenever things get hard? We want to be able to point around and say, see that building, that building, this building over here? They're all being built, but they're being built on a profit and loss model. What we are doing by investing in that school, by investing in that museum, by investing in that beautification project is creating a campus 
for which the employers and investors need to be, not just want to be, but if you want to succeed in this world, you need to be here. If you're in an industry that's becoming commoditized and you need to figure out how to incorporate digital and automation technologies so that you can not just survive, but thrive in the new economy, you better be here on this campus. If you're developing solutions for critical infrastructure protection, one of the biggest drivers of that critical infrastructure is gonna be here in San Antonio and at Port San Antonio. It's the City CPS Port Alamo Regional Security Operations Center. It's the National Security Collaboration Center. It's the Cyber Manufacturing Innovation Institute. It's SWERI. It's what we have in San Antonio. And so if you wanna be in that industry, you better be where that industry is. There are two ways to compete in this world. You, you compete by being the absolute cheapest you can possibly be, or you compete by driving value where people need to be because it's important to their business success. And fundamentally what we're taking is that second approach. And with the Innovation Center, we have the ability to bring people down, show it in a way that I could never articulate, and let people experience what's going on. And we think that ultimately is gonna be the way that we tell the story. One more thing before we uh, sign off, all these great things that are happening. At the same time, what is the thing that keeps you up at night, the, the thing you worry about that, that could derail all these wonderful things that, that you hope to, to see uh, materialize? What I worry most about is, is people getting overly reactive to bad news. And when you're living through a pandemic and an economic challenge like we're living in right now, there is a natural human tendency to go back to what used to work, to go back to the typical solutions. And we have to be careful about that in San Antonio. We have not only created a perception that we are a low wage, low cost place to do business. We have been too aggressive historically in pursuing that model. And if you pursue that model, several bad things happen. One, from a community that is dependent upon ad valorem taxation, you, you really drive down your ability to provide those services. But what you're doing is you're fundamentally trying to balance the budget on the back of your population. And if the, your population doesn't have the educational capabilities to compete in the new world, then it becomes exponentially harder to do that. So there's a model here, but it requires staying the course. It requires making sure that, that we continue to focus on the strengths. And what I am heartened by is when I look at the leadership that we have in our community, both the political leadership, the business leadership, and the community leadership, what I'm hearing more and more is that we need to focus on education and investing in our population. If we continue to do that, if we are serious about investing in our people, investing in ourselves, then we are going to create a labor force, a workforce that is going to be our biggest attractor. And that is far better than saying we're cheap. I'd rather say, this is where you need to be if you want to succeed. These are the people you need to have. Hey, it has been a rapid uh, half hour or so with you. I really appreciate you joining us on uh, Texas Business Minds. 
and uh, have a great day, Jim. You too. Thanks so much, Tony. Jim Hirschbach, CEO of Port San Antonio, joining us. Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas.